Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, uh, as I said, the working title of this talk is uh, The Release of Seeing Clearly and the Humility of Still Getting Caught. And then the release of seeing clearly. Um, The word vipassana, the uh, term that is used to uh, to talk about this meditation practice, insight meditation or mindfulness meditation, vipassana uh, literally means to see, to see things clearly. Um, and particularly it's seeing what what the mind or the awareness sees in the most um, fundamental way, the most liberating understandings that can be seen that the meditation points to uh, are three things that we've mentioned here many times, uh, what are called the three characteristics or the three marks of existence that is seeing that everything is impermanent, anicca, A-N-I-C-C-A, seeing that holding on to changing experience is suffering because there's just that grasping that can never be satisfied, at least with finding a lasting happiness. Dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, and then the seeing that this very mind and body that we call me is also a changing experience. And in that, as you see that this being, me, is a continually changing flow of physical processes and mental processes, um, then you start to see, and at times have profound um, realization, that there is no fixed entity within this being, that this is a pattern of experience called me, that life is expressing itself for a while in this form. Anatta, not self, not seeing this form as one solid, unchanging entity to whom life is happening, but rather seeing that this is um, an expression of life um, through which life is being expressed. And we've talked about these 
many times, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, impermanence, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. And vipassana, among all the things that one sees, including seeing or experiencing directly the breath or sensation or sounds or uh, emotions and thoughts, um, just in seeing one moment at a time without even trying to create a profound insight, one naturally starts to see more and more as you're sitting here through a a meditation period and you see your mind has gone lots of different places and your your body has had lots of different sensations, um, you start to see directly or experience directly how moment after moment your experience is changing. How many people have seen that in their meditation experience? Good, okay. And you can see it and experience it on a deepening level. So, yeah, you see it maybe the first or second time that you meditate. Oh, yeah, things really do change. Well, look at all the different places the mind goes. And then you keep on seeing it in a more and more embodied way and at times in a very profound, almost uh, uh, revelatory way so that you start to um, relate in a different way to the seeming uh, unchanging nature of, of this form or of life and you start seeing in terms of how everything is changing and that changes your relationship to things because then you're here for the ride instead of trying to get to any particular peak experience or final destination because it keeps on going. So that's seeing things clearly on the most profound level, vipassana. And another thing that um, one sees in uh, sometimes a striking way is the stories that this mind creates that seem so, so real that you are so um, connected uh, and take to be true your whatever your mind is creating And so we can frighten ourselves. We have a scary thought and we get frightened. Or we have a delicious thought and we get excited. And not that that's bad. That's just how it works. But to see, oh, the mind is creating all of these fabrications, as they're sometimes called. And and so you still are going to be affected by the, at times by the thoughts or something awful happens and you have those thoughts and saying, oh, that's really, that's really uh, so sad or so bad. And you have that thought and it's part of being human and you feel that connection. Or you have a wonderful thought or see your basketball team win and you say, yes, great. You know, 
Um, so it's not to do away with thoughts. Thoughts are amazing. But as you take a look at how the mind is continually creating experience and believing it, there's some more choice what thoughts you want to invest with veracity and which ones you can just let go and say, oh, that's, that's an interesting thought that just came through to me. Or that's a thought I want to keep on investing in and, and uh, inspire me or motivate me to act in a skillful way. <clears throat> and that's a very uh, a- amazing kind of understanding when you realize that you don't have to believe every thought that comes through your head. That's huge. Especially when you think of it that most people don't realize that there's a choice. But rather, you know, oh, this thought? Yeah. (gasps) This thought? And not realizing that what they're doing is scaring themselves or delighting themselves just with the mind. Particularly, there are times when you have been, when we can be, um, really activated by certain thoughts, powerful thoughts, and have a particular perception of reality, and then seeing it clearly that that perception was not accurate, in a moment, the mind can let go. And I'll share with you two examples of this just at this part of the talk so you understand what I'm talking about. This is, um, this is uh, from the end of, uh, near the end of The Experience of Insight by Joseph Goldstein, one of the... A book I usually recommend if you're if you're saying, well, how can I learn about all of this stuff? Um, this is one that I recommend: Four Noble Truths and the Five Hindrances and the basic Dharma practice, Dharma teachings with uh, instructions. It's a really um, a real treasure of a book, The Experience of Insight by Joseph. Um, and near the end, he has a a passage that I've always loved from uh, the Taoist teacher Chuang Tzu, who says, if a man is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with his own skiff, even though he be a bad-tempered man, he will not become very angry. But if he sees a man in the boat he will shout at him to steer clear. And if the shout is not heard, he will shout again and yet again and begin cursing. And all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, he would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, 
No one will oppose you. No one will seek to harm you. So this is a teaching of emptying your own boat so that there is not the same contentiousness that others might have with you. But flipping it around, just imagine that that man first sees that, uh, a boat that collides with him and thinks there's somebody in that boat. And they start cursing, how could you do this? And really losing it and getting uh, ill-tempered. And, and then all of a sudden, he sees, oh, there's no one in that boat. He probably wouldn't keep on cursing, would he? Because in a moment, he sees, oh, there's no one in the boat to get angry. Oh, let me just chill out. Okay. And that's one way that seeing clearly works. Just in a moment, you realize, oh, that was not an accurate perception. I don't have to keep on getting caught in that. And that happens probably many, many times for all of us. You know, just like there's a famous uh, example of um, somebody who sees a snake and they get really anxious and and frightened and then they realize, oh, it's just a coil of rope. Here's another example. Uh, the United States Army is using mindfulness training based on stress reduction programs of John Kabat-Zinn, which have had great success in hospitals and businesses. With mindfulness, we can awaken from delusion. One young Army officer who had a hot temper and a history of anger and stress-related problems was ordered by his colonel to attend an eight-week mindfulness training class to reduce his level of stress. One day after attending the class for some weeks, he stopped for groceries on the way home. He was in a hurry and a bit irritated, as usual. When he took his cart to the checkout, there were long lines. He noticed the woman in front of him had only one item but wasn't in the express line. She was carrying a baby and talking to the cashier. He became irritated. She was in the wrong line, talking and holding everyone up. Then she passed the baby to the cashier, and the cashier spent a moment cooing over the child. He could feel his habitual anger rising But because he'd been practicing mindfulness, he started to become aware of the heat and tightness in his body. He could feel the pain. He breathed and relaxed. And when he looked up again, he saw the little boy smiling. As he reached the cashier, he said, that was a cute little boy. Oh, did you like him? She responded. That was my baby. His father was in the Air Force, but he was killed last winter. Now I have to work full time. My mom tries to bring my boy in once or twice a day so I can see him. 
I'm so glad you like him. In a moment, oh, that's what was going on. And there can be a, a freedom in just a moment. As soon as you see, as soon as you understand clearly and realize that um, you don't have to stay stuck in a particular thought, how liberating that is. Isn't it one of the best feelings in the world? It's a little humbling when you think, you know, you thought you knew the score and then you realize, oh, no, it wasn't, but, oh, I'm so glad I can, I can see it more accurately now. <clears throat> and I want to uh, spend a little time on this seeing through the solidity of experience before we get to the, uh, the other side of the coin. Like I said, anatta or non-identification with your thoughts and just seeing, oh, thinking, thinking. And that's one of the beauties of, of the practice. You can have any thought in the world and just see, oh, it's just a thought. How freeing in a moment. And there's another name for um, this anatta or this non-identification. Non-identification is a fancy word if you're not so familiar with that term. That means not taking ownership of your experience. My thought. My emotion. My body pain, but rather just this flow of experience happening and the my is extra. So that's the non-identification, not taking ownership of what's coming through this mind and body. Another um, word that points to this anatta, this not-self, or the release that comes from seeing clearly is a word, I gave a talk on this a few years back, uh, the word atamayata, which is, um, is called, it's like, it's not this and not that, a word that um, Ajahn Amaro uses in uh, this book, The Island. This is a fabulous book. It's a, a book by Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Pasano on... Um, teachings on nibbana, nirvana, the awakened experience. Atamayata, uh, he translates as unconcoctability. How many times have you used that today? Unconcoctability, which is, uh, is meaning it's not made of anything. That the objects, the objects that we see are not as solid and permanent as we take them to be. That they are in a, in a, um, uh, a particular state for a particular period of time. This is a bell right now. 
it was, I don't know what kind of ore it was originally and smelted down and then shaped into this bowl. And sooner or later, probably it'll be quite a while, but some point this won't be a bell anymore. Right now, the atoms are together in this particular configuration. In the same way that sooner or later, this form uh, will be changing as well. Atamayata, just seeing that things are concocted, even on the physical plane, for a while they're together in a particular form and then they change. Um, and seeing that is, a, is kind of like seeing through the construction of your thoughts. Oh, poof, thoughts are so much more ephemeral. But even this body is just kind of put together for a while. And there's a, a famous metaphor um, that the Buddha uses of a chariot. He says, suppose you take a chariot I haven't seen many chariots lately, but uh, in the Buddhist time, he said, suppose you take a chariot. Uh, we could use a, um, a more contemporary example. Suppose you take uh, a Porsche, okay, and you put it in this room, right here in the center, and nice, shiny, red Porsche really hot car, right? And you might say, wow, far out, look at that. It's a hot car. But then suppose somebody had, there was a team that had the task of taking the Porsche apart. And there were the tires and there was the fuel injection and there was the transmission and there was the steering wheel and there was, you know, probably a, a few thousand parts of that car. And suppose they took it apart and just distributed it in, the, in this room. You walk into that room, you probably wouldn't be going, wow. Because it's, it's not put together. It's been deconstructed from its pattern and in that moment, you probably wouldn't have tremendous grasping for all of those thousands of parts. <clears throat> That's pointing to this unconcoctability where it's just put together temporarily. <clears throat> what the, uh, the Buddha called, when you see clearly through this, then you're not clinging to the, this mind-body process, which he talked about as uh, five aggregates. We've talked about this here before. Five aggregates, five components of, of being uh, in this human form. There's this body, form, and feeling, and perception, and mental formations, and consciousness. That's what's put together as this form. And when you see clearly, you're not clinging to those aggregates as this 
ultimate sense of self. And there's a kind of um, liberation that comes when you're not in the middle of that clinging. And what we also often cling to are our um, accomplishments that come out of this form. And I think here this is a good way to share it. This is from from the island, from Ajahn Amaro's book, an example from the Buddha. He says, a person, I don't like this translation, who is not truly good, uh, let's say, who is not uh, very clear, um, enters and remains in the first jhana, that's a, a high state of absorption, which is neat and fun, but this person is not very well trained. A person who is not very well trained enters and remains in the first jhana, and they notice, they say to themselves, I have gained the attainment of first jhana. Ho, ho. They exalt themselves for that attainment of first jhana, and they disparage others. Mm. Oh, they haven't attained first jhana. This is a quality of a person who is not very well trained. The the truly well-trained one, or the person who has deep understanding, notices, oh, the Blessed One, the Buddha, has spoken of non-identification, not taking ownership, even with regard to the attainment of the first jhana. For however they conceive it, the fact is is ever other than that, in who I am. So making non-identification their focal point, they neither exalt themselves for that attainment of the first jhana, nor do they disparage others. This is the quality of a person who's truly well-trained. So not going around saying, I have attained first jhana, because it just happened. And you can do what you, what you can to help make it happen, but to claim ownership of it is really missing the story. Just like when you all of a sudden see something clearly in a new way, if you're going, aha, oh, look at that. Can you take credit for that? I'm so clever. You know, It just kind of comes through you, and you say, oh, wow, I never saw that before. You know what I mean? Just a kind of spontaneous new understanding. If it's the way you thought it was going to be, then all you end up is saying, oh, pretty clever. But in order to have an experience of, aha, oh, look at that. It's like your mind opened up and something, a fresh way of seeing things came through. So to, take, to identify with it, to take ownership of it, pretty clever, pretty wise, is really missing the point. Mm-mm. So, atamayata, just 
kind of seeing that it's just a construct, a temporary construct. And we can... We can do this um, in, uh, in other ways when we get stuck in a particular perception about the truth, about someone else, about um, our assumptions about things, you know, that definition of assume. Assume is making an ass of you and me. Um, that's, you see through that assumption and you say, oh, wow, it wasn't like that at all. And in a moment, the heart can forgive. In just a moment, when you have been saying, how could they do that? Or why did they say that? And then, with some understanding, often this happens on retreats, where you see everybody just doing the best they could, given their limited reality. And there might be a glimpse where you see, oh, that was what was going on. Oh, they were really scared. Or I was really caught in my... Uh, my thinking that it had to be a certain way. Or they had a, a need that I hadn't understood. And in a moment, you see clearly and the heart can open. Magical when that happens. This is the the transformative power of forgiveness when you are truly understanding in a compassionate way and can somehow remove the blame. And that kind of seeing clearly uh, is an amazing gift of the heart that we uh, that we've been given, particularly if you train your mind and your heart to look more deeply and see, well, wait, is there another way than getting stuck here? Is there another way I can see this? <clears throat> and one way I have of of thinking about this is that the mind has been contracted holding on to a particular assumption. And then when we see clearly, all of a sudden, there's a release of the investment of your story. And you don't have to get rid of anything. You don't have to try hard to forgive. All of a sudden, you see through the story and there's a release. I was speaking with with somebody this this week who was was seeing a particular habitual pattern of contraction that she would get caught in and she became so excited when she saw that 
she didn't have to invest in that contraction. And there was this freedom. It was like, all of a sudden, where did it go? I didn't have to, I don't have to get rid of anything. Mm. Uh, 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 Tan Jeff, uh, Ajahn Tanisaro, who's a, a premier translator and a really um, a deep thinker, uh, he talks about Nibbana. He translated, translates it as unbinding. It's a really interesting translation. Unbinding. The mind is unbound. Not that it is, you know, as a fireworks going off and filling up a lot of space. All of a sudden, what had been nodding and contracting that mind is released. The mind released. And I had a, a particular experience of, of a, an understanding of how we hold on without even realizing it and the possibility of a release on one retreat. This is many years ago. I hope this isn't too much information, but uh, this is what happened with me. I was doing um, walking meditation, and I was getting into the slow walking as I, uh, as I did in those days, and uh, just observing everything I could. And some point, I'd been meditating for maybe 10, 12, 15 years by this time. All of a sudden, I noticed in the walking that my... I was holding my butt, you know, and it was tight there. And I'd never noticed that before. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. Wow, it's really tight. And then in a moment, I kind of said, oh, what if I, I don't invest in that tightness and just withdraw the energy of that tightness? And I didn't have to try hard to relax. It was just a withdrawal of the energy that I didn't know I was investing. And it was really exciting. Of course, like 45 seconds later, there it was again. Right? And this whole retreat, it was this, just this game, this joke that, I, that life was playing with me. And just seeing it, every time I saw it, I had a choice. Oh, I can... I can relax and let go. I don't have to invest that energy. And there it was again because it had been practiced for a lifetime. But still, now I have a whole lot more choice than I did then. And it became this kind of um, doorway to freedom in having this idea that at any time when there's a struggle, when any time there's Dukkha. Generally, there's attachment. Generally, attachment, there's a contraction. And generally, if I can notice it and see, oh, this is where the contraction comes from, there's a choice and a release. It's 
fantastic to see that. And what happens actually, and there's, there's, this has been shown, there's been studies that, uh, that have shown this, is that while we're caught, there's not much we can do about it. When we're caught in our story and we're caught in, in our assumptions and all, this is what uh, Paul Ekman, the, uh, the uh, neuroscientist uh, and the, the um, expert on facial expressions, um, what he coined the refractory period, that why you're in the... When you get triggered and you are believing your story, you are gone. And there is very little that can wake you up out of that story until at some point you come to your senses. Suppose you're about to do something that you really regret, and you've been losing it and losing it, and then all of a sudden you kind of wake up from the spell and realize, oh, wow, I don't know if I, I don't think that's such a good idea. If you're lucky, you can catch it in time. A lot of times we can't. But it's been shown that mindfulness, one, one way that it works is as it's practiced more and more, that refractory period is shortened. So you are not, you haven't lost your mind for as long. Have you noticed that in your own practice? How many people have noticed that they, that they don't get lost for quite as long in their practice? A few. You know, and, and as I often have said, you know, it's not like you don't get lost anymore. You know, if you're, it's said in some definitions of a fully enlightened being that you don't get lost anymore. But from what I see, it's you can have those thoughts, but just not believe them. But for most of us, until you're fully cooked, you press the button and those tapes can come out. And as I often say, you know, I press the button and I could be back in the third grade, uh, feeling insecure or judgmental or those things that I did when I was felt when I was eight years old. Except over time that length of time getting lost is, has shortened a lot. And so it's not to get rid of anything, but it's just to see that you're in the direction of more and more waking up from the dream and seeing more clearly so you don't cross the line from thought into words or actions. Because once, once that line is crossed, the karmic cleanup is a whole lot more um, intense. So here's this gift of seeing clearly, but there is also the process of realizing that this doesn't happen overnight. And so you wake up a little at a time. And this process of purification really needs to be honored as the expression goes uh, by this 12th century Zen master, Shinul. He talked about sudden awakening 
and gradual cultivation. That you wake up, you see things anew, fresh, and then over time you're cultivating that understanding so it's more and more an embodied understanding, insight, and it's where you're living from. So this means honoring the habitual pattern and seeing it's possible to wake up in any moment. It happens both ways. I was talking with with Jane as we were, um, as uh, I was preparing for the talk, and um, she said, "Yeah, but you know, you don't want to have people have the idea that once they see, they're free." And I, and I said, "Yeah, no, that's that's what I want to communicate. Once you see." You're free in that moment, but it's an ongoing process of waking up. This is the process of purification. But there are times that once you see, you really are free, like the lieutenant and the cashier, or um, understanding why somebody does something that you hadn't seen before. Or in the uh, the story of Angulimala that uh, that we've talked about here, where where this fellow was misled and uh, um, led a life of of violence and killed many people, and he was a serial killer until the Buddha in, helped him wake up, and then the trance was broken. He still had his karma to pay, and when he'd when he'd go into town. People would stone him, but the Buddha said, bear it nobly, Brahman, you're working off a lot of karma here. Uh, but he, in a moment, woke up. And we have those experiences, too, where there's a real shift in our relating to somebody, and all of a sudden the heart can be released. as well as the times where there's a real shift and the heart can be released and then it tightens up again. Can work both ways. So I'm I'm not suggesting one is the right and one is not. It's just to really honor the process of purification and it becomes that much more frustrating can be that much more frustrating and confusing when you've seen and you think you know better and you're still getting caught. Particularly if you've been practicing for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, oh my goodness, still getting caught. That's when you add on the second dart or a, um, a whole quiver of, of, of arrows and say, oh, what a, what a pathetic meditator I am. You know? So this is where this process requires tremendous kindness, real metta and compassion 
for those habits and tremendous patience. Just knowing that you're facing in the right direction and doing the best you can. And every time you see clearly, celebrate. And every time you've blown it, don't beat yourself up because at some point you've realized that you've blown it. That's the time to celebrate. Oh, I was lost. Now I'm, and now I'm found, as Amazing Grace says. I there it is. I, you know, I once was lost, and now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. Don't spend time shooting on yourself. I should be more evolved. I should be able to let go. I should um, not be holding on to this pain and this suffering or this grieving or whatever it is. Celebrate when you realize, oh, there's another way to hold this. And when you see, oh, I'm just, I've just gotten lost in my stories, then then that kind of opening, once again, you are seeing clearly the freedom of seeing in that moment is just even seeing that you were caught. As I've often quoted Pema Chodron's line, take delight in the awareness that can see the dukkha. Take delight that there's something that is seeing that you're getting caught. And even if you see you're caught and wish you could get out, but are still caught, take delight or appreciate there's a part of you that wishes you could let go. Even that, because there's something wholesome in that. I wish I could. I'm not there yet. I wish I could. You've got two choices there, either saying, God damn it, when are you going to get off it? Or, oh, there's a, a place in me that wants to grow and wants to let go, but is just not quite there yet. Oh, be, be kind. Oh, yes, it's so stuck in there. It's okay, dear. And the more you can hold that with kindness, the more you start to um, unravel the, the contraction until you see it clearly and there is that um, unconcoctability. You see the, the fabrication of what your mind has put together. Okay, so... Just before I end this, I just invite you to, uh, to go inside and make this relevant for your own experience. I invite you to just uh, go inside and first know that you're alive, that you're in this body, that you have this heart, that you have this awareness. 
At first, see if you can recall some time in your life where you saw things with fresh eyes. Maybe you understood why somebody did what they did, or you understood why you do what you do. And there was a moment of genuine forgiveness and release. Maybe it was a difficult situation that somehow you got through and you learned to let go. Really let go, not just because it was a thing you're supposed to do, but ah, that seeing clearly allowed that release. And just notice what a blessing and how it felt to be caught and then not caught and then liberated. Okay, and now think of perhaps if there's a theme or an issue that you're currently exploring or working with in your life. Say, about yourself or about another where when you think about it, there's a contraction whether it's a contraction of aversion or anger or ill will, or a contraction of wanting, attachment, agenda, or maybe uh, a contraction around identification, taking ownership of something within you that is humbling to see. My loneliness, my back pain, my body that doesn't cooperate, or my mind that's forgetting a bit more. Pick one so many to choose from. And now, imagine what it would be like to see through the story, to see the mind creating its story, whether it's about another or yourself, or identifying with a particular body situation or pattern of thought. And now bring great metta, great kindness to that misapprehension. And holding it with a wise understanding 
with a compassionate understanding, imagining what it's like to see clearly from the wisest point of view and experiencing release. If just for a moment of clarity of seeing, where you don't take the thought to be solid or real, or the body to be um, in your control, And imagine practicing seeing this more and more and more to the point where it's very natural to just realize, oh, I don't have to get caught in that misperception. I can open to the freedom that comes with clear seeing. And knowing that every time you get caught, that being humbled is just deepening your compassion for all the people that you meet who get caught. Simply seeing how the mind can get caught first within yourself and then to those around you. Nothing is wasted. And I invite you to practice this week with this particular situation if it's if it's coming up. So We have about five minutes or so. If you can stay to the end, that would be appreciated. Uh, But if uh, any comments, questions, any things that you want to raise about it, or questions about practice in general. Yes. Oh, thanks, Jaime. Hi. Hi. Long time to see. Um, so I've had a few breakthroughs lately, like you talked about, and mm-hmm. I do feel really happy with myself when that happens. Um, you feel what? Happy with Happy with yeah, yourself, yeah. That I've noticed that I could let go of something painful and not buy into mm-hmm. a particular pattern, and then seeing it and thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Is that not okay? Because I like, I feel like I put work into it. Like, <laughs> you want some credit for there. Not, yeah. not even of want, course but I do feel good. I mean, sure. I, I feel like I've come a long way. And yeah, I, and you should feel good. It's, the, there's, 
Feeling good doesn't mean necessarily taking ownership. There's, uh, there's this quality of uh, being amazed. You know, I love this line from uh, Shanti Deva. I, I might have read it here recently. Um, as, as, uh, as a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening arising in my consciousness. I love that line. Of course, you can be delighted. Oh, wow, this stuff really works. And delight in the work that you've put in to making that happen. But the fact that it came through in that moment, can you really take credit for that moment and that thought? It just, something opened up. You were not caught, and all of that work that you've put in probably had a lot to do with the conditions that created that opening. So it's both taking delight in the work that you put in and feeling the wholesomeness of that and having gratitude for the amazing grace that opened up without saying, aren't I wise? Do you see the the dance on both ends? Good. Don't necessarily feel like uh, it's just spontaneous is the problem. I feel like it is something that I've created to a large extent, but not that I feel like, okay, I'm great, but just that I see what you're saying about it. Yeah, it does come from somewhere out. It's, there's a mystical aspect to it, yes. There you go. Stay with the mystical. Okay. <laughs> Stay with the mystical. For the, It doesn't mean don't celebrate. I'm all for celebrating. Stay with that mystical that is not me. It's the not me part of it. It's both you and not you. This this being James has a particular personality that's different from somebody else that has a particular pattern that, oh yeah, that's James. But on another hand, I didn't make this happen. Just kind of happened by itself. And here... How did I get here? You know, you may ask yourself, how did you get here? The old Talking Heads song, you know. Uh, It's a great question. How did I get here? You know, and you don't have to take ownership of it, but you can delight in it. And here I am. And so you play the game fully because it's the only game in town. So you just do what you can to develop. But at some point, letting go of that ownership is tremendously freeing. And it's, it's dancing with both levels. Got it? Yeah. Okay, one, one last one, right over here. Uh, one quick one. Hi, uh, thank you for the talk. Um, and I hope this isn't too big a question. I can come up after as well, but I... The thing that I've been sort of struggling with in terms of getting caught or getting hooked is a lot around like anxiety and how my body just gets really, really tight. Mm -hmm. And I don't know in terms of the whole like ownership or being 
sort of ego, ego full or full of ego. Like if it's like, sometimes I tell myself like, Oh my God, I have so much anxiety today. Or I have so, I'm so anxious. I'm such an anxious person. So I guess what I'm wondering are like tools of like, is it just better to not identify with that? Just being like, Oh, anxiety is present in this body or like, so what, what do you do with anxiety like when it's gripping in that yeah. way? Yeah, and it's the same principle as with any emotion, whether it's fear or sadness or wanting or you know, lust or whatever. And anxiety is a particularly challenging one because the mind is so scattered that it's kind of free-floating and there's a kind of... It's humbling to be when you're caught in anxiety. And I, you, you hit on it when you said, there's another way besides, oh, I'm such an anxious person. That is, take a, not, is identification in neon lights. I am such an anxious person. There's no way out of that. But if you say, or if you see, or even just ha- take the perspective, oh, anxiety is arising. Or sometimes what I'll say is, oh, anxious Buddha is here. It's like, here's this manifestation. And even though it's a habit that comes up a lot, every time you see it that way, there's an awareness that is seeing the anxiety. And the awareness of anxiety is not anxious. So it's kind of being the awareness that is noticing the anxiety. And if you can notice it that way, fabulous, but sometimes you can't. And so that's where you've got to be really kind and just calm yourself down. Wow, this is really hard. This is a lot of anxiety, and it's part of being human, and let me hold it with kindness. That in itself, you're not completely identified with it, and so you're taking care of yourself with the metta, with the compassion, and little by little, there will be enough space. You see, oh, it's just tape 17 anxiety gotten activated again. I can get anxious, but like I say, that refractory period shortens. So just practice instead of, I'm such an anxious person, oh, and here's anxiety, and let me hold it with kindness. Got it? Okay. Okay, time to, um, time to go. And uh, I wish you a, a really wonderful summer, and um, see you when I come back in mid-August, and may all see through their fears and anxieties and assumptions and mental fabrications. May all see clearly and get in touch with the wisdom and kindness that is who we really are. And may our coming here together um, be of benefit to all beings in all directions. May all be happy and know the highest peace.
So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.